Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, founder of Vespod and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich, and you're listening to The Wallet. Every week we give you the best tips, guidance, and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. Should I invest in this IPO? Why do companies go public? And how do they finance their operations? Last year in April 2021, we'd heard a lot of noise around a potential IPO, initial public offering, which could have been a success. People love Deliveroo the food delivery startup, which had experienced a huge demand during the pandemic. And they wondered if they should actually be investing in the company. This was London's biggest IPO since 2011, and an unmitigated disaster, according to CNN. The stock plunged when trading started, and the shares eventually closed 26% below their listing price, whipping almost £2 billion of Deliveroo's initial market capitalization. People often ask me if they should buy an IPO stock, but also what does IPO actually mean? We'll start with the life funding cycle of businesses today, from finding money early days to finance their operations, to actually trying to sell the business or raise more money to grow. We'll talk about the asymmetric information relating to IPOs and what happens during and after an IPO. Please remember, Stock markets can fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than you invested. If you don't feel confident about making your own financial decisions, please seek independent financial advice. Want to give your money an opportunity to grow this year? Wealthify makes investing simple by choosing and managing your investments for you. And if you open a Wealthify plan and invest at least £50 by 30th of June 2023, they'll give you an extra £50. Terms and conditions apply. New customers only. The offer is capped at the first 500 customers. Find out more and claim the offer at wealthify.com slash the wallet. With investing, your capital is at risk and you could get back less than you put in. Wealthify is regulated and authorized by the Financial Conduct Authority. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. An IPO is an initial public offering. When a private company goes public, in other words, when the capital of a company is open to the public and shares are listed, which means you can invest in the company. So why do companies IPO? To understand why a company IPOs, we first need to take a step back and understand its funding life cycle. When someone creates a company or startup, like Vespod, it will first use his or her time and skills to define the purpose of the company. They will then need some funding, usually from savings or family, friends, to develop a so-called minimum viable product, MVP. It's like a simple form of the idea. Today, you can launch your business with very little money, with a website and skills and time. The founders will then sell the idea to private investors like angel investors or VCs, venture capitalists, looking for funding to scale their businesses. While I have quickly summarized this in a few sentences, the company can go through several rounds of funding, commonly called seed, series A, B, C, D, etc. At this stage, the company is focused on growth rather than profits hence the need to keep raising money from private investors. At each round of funding, a new valuation is agreed upon by all investors. Therefore, as the startup matures, the number of investors tend to increase. In addition, early investors and founders 
will have to dilute themselves. Their percentage ownership in the company becomes lower at each new founding round, where they own a smaller piece of a much bigger cake for growing companies. As a side note, businesses don't always have to raise money, of course. They can also focus on generating money from the early stage and fund their own operations. They can be bootstrapped. An entrepreneur starts a company with little capital and focus on generating money from the business rather than looking for outside investments. And of course, they can also borrow money from the bank to grow their business. As the company matures and hopefully starts to generate healthy profits, the early investors in the business, the backers, will look for an exit. They will look to get their money back, right? That could be offering the company's shares to the public via an IPO, for example, or sell the company via a trade sale. This is called a liquidity event. Today, we will focus on the IPO. It must be noted that a company may never exit or IPO if the founders, investors decide not to, like Patagonia, for instance. So how do we open the company's capital to the public? With the IPO, the company is looking to sell its shares to the public. Remember, when you own a share, you own a piece of the company. The company will go to banks that will use their client base. This is also called a street to gauge the interest in the company. They, they need banks since they have the biggest reach. They are the link between the company and the public. They will call actors like pension funds, investment managers, large family offices, stockbrokers, and ask them, one, if they're interested in the business of the company, and two, if so, at what price and for how much. They will then circle back the information to the company and advise them at which price or valuation they should go public. Once finalized, all the details will be published in a prospectus, that's a document that you can find online, available to all potential investors. The banks are also called the underwriters, since they will underwrite the deal. They sort of take responsibility for making sure the deal actually happens. So what are the forces at play during an IPO? Most companies are not profitable when they IPO, and use that opportunity to raise outside capital. Since the 1980s, unprofitable IPOs have risen from around 20% to 80% of the total IPOs each year. This is significant because the companies are usually valued on forward growth, on business plans, on what they think they can achieve over the coming years. In addition, it is in the interest of the company to make this growth as attractive as possible since it will yield a higher valuation, which will decrease the cost of raising new capital. I will explain that later. It is also in the interest of the intermediary banks, since higher valuation usually rhymes with higher fees. Finally, when we make forecasts, we are at the mercy of any unexpected changes which might impact the forecast remains. We have recently witnessed several unexpected events like the pandemic, high inflation, or the Russia-Ukraine war, which has put unprofitable stocks under considerable pressure due to growth concerns. The point I'm trying to make here is when you buy an IPO, you are buying a lot of if. And if the company is not profitable, it might be increasingly difficult to deliver on this forecast when it's being challenged by the macro environment. Companies use IPOs to raise fresh capital. Let's look at an example so that we can understand its implication. At its last private funding round, a company valuation was about 100 million pounds. Since the company sales have exploded and it forecasts continued growth in the coming years, the banks in charge of the IPO will consider all the existing data and future forecasts and advise the company to IPO at a valuation of not 100 million, but 200 million pounds. In addition, the company will raise 
20 million pounds of fresh capital raised from the public market that will be used to fund future growth. That equals to a 10% dilution for existing investors. Had the company IPO that 400 million, the same 20 million would have equated to 5% dilution for current investors. This illustrates my point that the higher the valuation, the better it is for existing investors. So what happens after an IPO? During initial funding rounds, when the company is private, it is sometimes possible for investors to exit, sell their investments. For instance, an investor who put money during the Series A funding could exit during the Series B should another investor be willing to buy his shares. It is nonetheless rare and the liquidity is poor since there is a limited amount of buyers. As the company goes public, the number of potential buyers increase meaningfully. But it also allows early investors to sell pretty much when they want instead of waiting for the next funding round. While we won't go into the details here, it is important to know that there are rules as to when insiders, people working for the company, or people with privileged information like early investors and funders, can sell shares, they are a lot more stringent than for a private company. While oversimplistic, shareholders of a public company can trade larger size and more frequently than a private company. That is an important concept to understand, since it may put a cap on the company's valuation as investors sell when the price goes up. Early investors may use IPOs to diversify their investments. There is also an aspect which might be a little technical but important. As the banks look for new investors, they will build a list of potential investors with amount they wish to invest. This is called the book. In an ideal world, the sum of the interest in the book is higher than the valuation. That will reflect strong demand for the stock. You might have guessed that it creates another potential risk for new investors. You might not get your full allocation if the deal is oversubscribed. While this might not be a big deal for retail investors, it has implications for index and ETF trackers. Let's go back to our example. Remember how 200 million valuation with 20 million of new capital. Bank have interest for 400 million. That means people might get only 50% of their allocation. That creates interesting dynamics that are difficult for people like you and me to foresee. It puts us at the mercy of more informed, knowledgeable investors who have direct information from the banks who guide them as to how much of their allocation they might receive. It can also be inferred that if people didn't get as much as they want, need, they might buy more as the company's share become publicly tradable, while if they got more than they wanted, they might have to sell. This is a bit of a lose-lose, since you either don't have enough while the price increases, or you have too much of something while the price drops. To summarize, depending on the amount of interest for the IPO, the shares may outperform or underperform strongly once free to trade. A few technicalities of IPOs you may not know about. According to Investopedia, a green shoe option is an over-allotment option. So in the context of an IPO, it's like a provision of an underwriting agreement that grants the underwriter the right to sell investors more shares than initially planned by the issuer, if there is actually some demands for it. Green shoe options typically allow underwriters to sell up to 15% more shares than the original amount set by the issuer. Investors and insiders may only sell a fraction of the capital to the public and use the reminder to raise more capital down the road or enter new markets. This is a partial IPO. 
and the newly issued stock may be volatile. It may go up or down in a rapid fashion. There are several explanations. We already mentioned the demand post-IPO from investors who were over or under-allocated. It could also be related to banks analysts who issue ratings on the stock. The more buy ratings, the more it could support the stock price, while sales rating could put it under pressure. It can also be driven by short-term traders looking for a quick win. Shares will typically settle or appear on your account three days after the deal is closed. While you will not be able to trade them during that time, institutional investors will be able to in the grey market. Although it is only accessible to players with a direct access to banks, the price fluctuations will impact all shareholders. After the company goes public, insiders have typically a lockup period during which they cannot sell the shares. It is typically between 90 and 180 days. It is important to note since once the lockup period ends, you are likely to see selling pressures from the insiders. If we look at a historical performance of IPOs, most IPOs returns turn negative in the long run. Three years after the IPO, we calculate that almost two-thirds of IPOs are underperforming the market, with most more than 10% behind the market returns. However, while the outperforms only represent around 29% of the total IPO, they outperform by much more, with some doubling or tripling in price. And you can find the article in the resources. So should you get involved with IPOs? We hope you now have a better understanding of how an IPO works and it will help you make future financial decisions. So to summarize, question evaluation, at which you are being sold new shares. Try to read as much as you can about the company from experts. Do you already use this product or this service? How much do you know about the company? How much do you know about management? Be prepared for some extra volatility. So invest accordingly. Start small and grow your position. While it can sometimes be heavy in financial dragons, take the time to read the prospectus detailing the terms of the underwriting. That will help you understand what the future may hold. It may also inform you on the green shoe, lockup period, partial IPO, etc. Be skeptical of a financial advisor or stockbroker selling you hard an IPO. Remember that they get paid a fee while you will have the stock performance. Always weight the pros and the cons. Thank you so much for listening to the episode of The Wallet. Please share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Wallet. I'm interviewing my friend Davinia Tomlinson, founder of RainCheck and author of Cash is Queen, a girl's guide to securing, spending and stashing cash. We'll talk about money and kids, but also learn more about our definition of wealth and how she decided to follow her own path.